You're listening to the Detroit is Different After Dark Podcast Network. What's up, people? It's me, Ramon. Welcome to the podcast that will entertain, educate, and inform you. Grab a ball and get ready for this serving of cornbread and caviar. What's up, people? It's me, Ramon. I'm your host, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of Cornbread and Caviar, the podcast that will entertain, educate, and inform you. Thank you for joining us today um, for what promises to be an awesome experience. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Eat Cornbread and Caviar. That's E A T C O R N B R E A D A N D C A V I A R. That was a lot. And feel free to hit us up at eatcornbreadandcaviar at gmail.com. Um, today, I am joined by the hardest working producers and co-hosts. I have the phenomenal, never to be underestimated, the pretty boy himself. James Brandon. What's up, everybody? And the beautiful, voluptuous, resonant voice of hospitality and custodian of the truth, my sister, none other than Maria Renee, who could not join us today. However, she is here with us in spirit. Okay, so a couple of shout outs today. Um, let's see, shout out to moms because she does a great job of taking care of her grand dog. So mom, shout out to you for that. You got any shout outs? James? I do. I want to shout out... Um... Sephora, the the staff at Sephora Briarwood. It was a great almost two years with you guys, and I am happy to not be with you anymore. So I'm <laughs> so I'm ready for the next the next chapter of my life. I'm very excited for that, but I did have a great time working with you guys. Love you. That really sounded fucked up, that one little part, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> And also, while I go through this whole try to transform my body, shout out to my side boob. Like, yes, side boob. So, you know, I got on this little tank top today, and shout out to my side boob. Like, for real. It's serious. Giving real woman. <laughs> real woman. Yet I'm a whole man. Burly. Daddy bed. Um, okay. So that's good for shout outs. Uh, listen, so Brown Brilliance is the next segment. That's the part of the show uh where we look at amazing brown owned businesses or individuals that are doing wonderful things locally in this country abroad wherever and i feel it's personally important to let all my listeners know um what these people are doing and give some exposure to who they are right so today i want to talk about my brother uh professor christopher emden um He's just shy of 40 years old. Uh, he's a tenured professor in the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Technology uh, at Teachers College, Columbia University. Um, at Columbia, he launched a Center for Health Equity and Urban Science Education with Dr. Barbara Wallace in 2013. And in 2013, he was a fellow at the W.E.B. Du Bois, or Du Bois, never knew how to say that right. Du Bois. Du Bois. Thank you. <laughs> at the W.E.B. Du Bois 
Research Institute at Harvard University. That we're gonna go with that. Um, he is the author of the book Urban Science Education for a Hip Hop Generation and regular contributor to the Huffington Post. Uh, commentary on his work on race, culture, inequality, and education has appeared in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Forbes, the Atlanta Journal Inst uh, Constitution, etc. He's developed and partnered with rapper. I never knew how to say this name. Is this Za? Giza. 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 I don't know. Okay. It looks like SZA, so we'll say Giza. We're going to say Giza. G-Z-A. I never knew how to say that. And this Giza or G-Z-A is from the Wu-Tang Clan and the website Rap Genius to develop the Science Genius Battles, B-A-T-T-L-E-S, which engages students in science through the creation of raps and a final rap battle competition. That's dope, right? And Mr. Emden, Professor Emden is also the uh, founder of Hip Hop Ed. Hashtag. Hashtag Hip Hop Ed. Excuse me. Thank you, sir. Hashtag Hip Hop Ed brings together educators and scholars who challenge traditional educational systems to value the power of youth, culture, and voice. You can find out more about uh, Professor Emden on uh chrisemden.com that's c-h-r-i-s-e-m-d-i-n.com and follow his Instagram at Chris Emden Chris Emden, Professor Emden Brown Brother we at Cornbread and Caviar, we celebrate you and we invite you to come join us on the podcast if you're ever in Detroit or hell, we'll come travel to you okay, because we want to send this listen request to you and we hope you listen we hope you share your social media all that good stuff um, we here doing our thing. So hats off to you from Cornbread and Caviar. That was our Brown Brilliance with Professor Chris Emden. Yes. All right. So, folks, um, getting right into this discussion topic. So um, I found this article. It came across my desk. And <clears throat> it talked about how there is a huge disparity. Actually, I wanted my homeboy to uh, join me today because he's actually a uh, I think he holds an EDD in education, and I really could have brought my sister on. But this is just part one. We're going to have a part two of this discussion because uh, I think that the two individuals in my life who are in education, they would have some really dope commentary on this subject matter. Um, so, yeah, it's it talks about the disparity between the dollar spent in the brown community versus the more wealth, wealthy and affluent white communities. Um, I think that it, it's a staggering figure. It's a staggering number. And it gives a lot of understanding around why our schools in the Brown community, our education, et cetera, seem to have such a disparate disadvantage as compared to the counterparts in uh, American society. Um, this topic was covered by several media uh, outlets and um, <laughs> it was pretty deep. So $23 billion, $23 billion. that is the difference in what school uh, districts with mostly brown children receive versus the mostly white school districts. So the white, the white district over time, I believe this was a longitudinal study, if I'm not misspeaking, and there was $23 billion spent, more spent in these white communities. Um, that's huge. That is huge. Could you imagine what we could do in a in in our brown communities, educating our brown youth 
Um, that is huge. Um, <clears throat> the resources that this 23 billion could offer our brown youth is not available today to help make their futures brighter tomorrow, to give them a more sustainable future. So, um, I guess there are a few things to really talk about here. So first, let's go back. Let's do some kind of, let's do a little bit of history. So let's look back at 1954 when uh, um, we first started that legal process, I guess, of desegregating schools, the public school system, right? So courts rooted unconstitutional and that under overturned this. It was an 1896 decision. Uh, it's called Plessy versus Ferguson. It was a case where uh, the the courts upheld segregation is indeed constitutional. Fortunately, that was overturned in 1954, but um, it seemed like it was a great victory back in 1954. Shout out to 1954. Moms was born in 1954. Uh, but it was not really a huge leap forward. Here's why. Um, uh, in 1955, so this, the, 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 the case in 1954, if I didn't say, uh, was Brown versus the school board, I believe. Uh, let me see here. Brown versus the school board. And uh, Brown 2, as it was later called, the second part of this, I guess, complaint was that uh, school districts were complaining that this 1954 uh, mandate to desegregate schools um, was a great task and they needed help with this burden right they needed to help to help the court manage the burden of desegregating the school system so um as i understand it while doing my research the court kind of ambiguously ordered the school districts to carry out the desegregation process and i quote with all deliberate speed so that was very ambiguous and many folks who were excited about the civil rights leap ahead from the first uh decision with brown um <sighs> They were kind of frustrated because actually uh, this 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 ambiguous ruling to do it uh, with all deliberate speed, it didn't require haste. It didn't require a specific time frame for which these school districts had to desegregate and then offer the same benefits that white kids were getting to brown kids. Um, so it essentially allowed them to drag their feet um, and. All the while, again, as always, brown people still suffering, brown children suffering educationally. So this is some deep shit right here, right? So uh, with the Brown 2 decision, I was also looking at, uh, I found that Prince Edward County in Virginia. So in 1959, when they finally got the mandate to stop dragging their feet and that the, the, the expiration had come for... Um, them to complete everything with all deliberate speed once it had come in 1959 and mind you that's six years after the brown one case and that's five years later than the 1955 uh ruling to do it with all deliberate speed because they really drug their ass out prince edward county of virginia they literally shut down the school district for five years simply to avoid integrating public school system <clears throat> and what they did was <laughs> they provided monies, scholarship money to white children who wanted to go to private schools, all white private schools. So that was jacked up. Okay. 
So fast forward to the next piece of this little story. 1978, Topeka schools, they had a policy of open enrollment, and that sounded great. That means anybody can enroll, but then also without having like a a district, attendance district um, drawn up, that means that the white families could move and go wherever they wanted to and enroll their kids in the, I guess, more preferred schools maybe, and then have us in the <clears throat> poorer neighborhoods where we, because we couldn't afford to go to the better schools in the better neighborhoods, and we would enroll our kids in the schools that, you know, were mostly brown, you know, uh, mostly minority because we couldn't afford what the white folks could afford. Okay, so... Yeah, and of course, out of this, we had um, the decision was made to, like I said, create those uh, attendance plans, and then that also brought forth uh, magnet schools. And magnet schools attract talent either in district or around the country to bring those talented students to a particular population in a school building to teach them specific subjects and such. Um, but after that ruling came out to create a racial balance that kind of helped, but we can put all these rules in place and that's fine. That's great. That's wonderful. But, um, people can still do what they want to do essentially, right? We got laws in place, but people still do what they want. I could still move out to a rich white suburb and have my kids go here. And I know if I move here, then I know that certain people, Likely a lot of people of color, most people of color can't afford to live here. So I know my kids going to be with most white folks and we're going to get the best education. Whereas we deserve the access to that too. But then when you go out to these school districts where there's more money um, and then I'm a realtor too, right? So I look at stuff like how when you go out to the richer white suburbs, the housing property, the property values are actually greater and bigger. I've even seen statistics and reports where when a brown person moves into a neighborhood, a white neighborhood, then the property values all drop. That's jacked up, right? Um, talk about systematic or systemic racism. So, um, you know, a lot of the funding for these school districts come from uh, the value of properties because of property taxes and the income levels. A lot of these school districts have income uh, uh, they have parents and people in the community who are actually donating to the school system. They get more money per student, et cetera, et cetera, because of a lot of these socioeconomic factors. Whereas in the inner cities, the urban areas where more minorities live, particularly brown people, there's not a lot of money that we get for these students um, <laughs> because the housing values are not where they could be. There's not a lot of income there. And I know damn well if I'm living check to check, I don't have extra money to donate into the school system. And therefore, we get less in the more urban communities. So my day to day, um, I'm actually a transit supervisor for a majority brown school district. Right. So um, and actually, I matriculated several years ago from this school myself. <clears throat> and when I was growing up in a school district, Actually, um, it was there were more you know, white folks there. But as I got older, I started to see more and more people that look like me there. And now it's true that there are more brown people in this suburban area. Right. So we didn't took over and that's cool. <laughs> Property values are not what they used to be. Um, I know that just from doing some research and just looking at what my alma mater high school looks like. It sucks. I mean, actually, now that I'm back in the school district as a transit supervisor, um, I actually had to take a group of kids 
out to another suburb that's farther away, way farther away from Detroit. And when we got to the stadium, I brought took the football team actually. And when we got to the stadium, I'm like, what the fuck? Is this Ford Field? Like the stadium was immaculate. I'm telling you, like, they had this whole pirate thing going on. It was really cool. I was like, geez, this is kind of exciting. I was excited to be there, right? And, you know, unfortunately our boys lost, but then we went back to the high school to drop them off where their parents were going to pick them up. And man, it was like pulling up to a slum. I'm like, what the fuck is it? Like I, after when leaving, I'm like, I'm kind of excited after getting to the other stadium, then get back. I'm like, damn, what is going on here? Why do, why does our stadium look like crap? Like just the, the facility, the, the whole building in general. Like I went inside there. I've been inside the building. Like my first time in years since I graduated high school and I'm looking at the building like, man, this building still looks the same as when I was here, but it's just not upgraded, not updated. This looks trashed. And so do a lot of the other schools in this particular district I work in. So I'm like, what is going on here? So this kind of ties in a lot to what we're talking about. And if if it feels unfair, like a lot of the things we talk about in American society, it just feels unfair. And it totally is. Um 23 billion, right? Uh, 23 billion. That's a lot of cheddar. Um, EdBuild is a nonprofit um, and it works with <laughs> states that, across the country to modernize school funding system to help low income, which quite a few minority brown children are or can be, receive some equity and an even playing ground. So they're trying to figure out how to, um, you know, modernize that. They want to modernize the funding so that everybody gets the equal ability and right to the same resources and the same help. So this $23 billion is, it, it just, it bothers me. It's yet another thing that I've identified on this new journey I'm on just to see literally understand and articulate and talk about the differences that there are in American culture as with respect to majority race members and minority race members. And I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. Well, it, it their fault can be placed, but just for information's sake, we need to know this kind of stuff because we need to understand. I talked about on the previous episode, how we have $1.2 trillion. Some of that money you know, if we harness it correctly, could go towards our school systems, right? And hell, where's all the the money from the lottery that's supposed to go to the schools when people don't win it? Like, where is that money? That's a shitload of money, and everybody's not winning the lottery all the time. So, I want to know where this money is that could help our minority and impoverished schools uh, achieve better in the world of academia. And actually, um, I would like to see our people get better resources, you know, newer computers, give all our kids laptops and all this shit, you know, let them see that there's a better side to life so they can understand uh, what their futures could look like and will look like if we give them exposure to it. I'm talking about, you know, trips to Paris, trips to Africa, you know, so they can see where our ancestors came from or wherever. I want them to be exposed to culture outside of their own so that they know that the culture that's here in America that makes them feel like um, crap, they can go somewhere else and be treated like kings and queens as well. And then come back here with that mentality and just hit the ground running. So th that exposure. So $23 billion, 
what could we really do in the minority districts with 23 billion? Um, but back to my original point, because I went <laughs> off track, but Ed Bill, yes, Ed Bill is, it's a nonprofit that works, again, to create that modernized system for the schools for funding. And uh, uh, they recently published this report that explains uh, that white school districts receive significantly more funding than school districts with people of color. And the report states that on average, and this is where all this information is coming from is Ed Bill, but on average, the white non-school district receives about $2,226 less than a white school district per student. So I guess a good example would be like if there are 10,000 students and uh, each get, you know, they they, they get 7,500 for each student, right, for funding. So the white district is going to get 75 million. And then um, then you have the higher income and with community investment and higher property values, which means more funding for them. So they're probably going to get well beyond 75 million. I don't know uh, the infrastructure of the school system, how it actually works. But just from my research, based on these factors, the 75 million um, plus the higher income and the, with the community investment and involvement and higher property values, they would get more funding like that really beautiful uh, football stadium that I took some of my students to for my school district. And I actually asked at the concession stand, by the way, I said, geez, this is a really nice stadium. I said, what, where did you guys get funding for this? She says, oh, we in the community, we we donate money and we make it happen. I said, and she says, been here for now five or six years. And I'm like, oh, okay, I see. Very interesting. Um, you know, took my little hot dog and chips and went on about my way with my tail tucked between my legs. I'm like, this is really crazy. This stadium was immaculate. But anyway, so we compare that example with the white district to uh, a brown district. Let's just say you have to take 7,500 just to give us reduce it by the average amount of two thousand two hundred twenty six. So seventy five hundred minus that amount, um, and then multiplied by the ten thousand students, that equates to fifty two million seven hundred forty thousand. So and then with the lower income, the little to no community investment, lower property values, mm, funding is not there. And not to mention in some of these cases, again, all this is not applicable to everybody, but just given a overall general opinion and of what I've seen living my life as well. Um, a lot of these people in these poor communities, um, depending on how impoverished the community is, they're really looking, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to survive. They're looking for the next check, the next meal. So really education is not high on the list of priorities when it comes to survival, because I have to meet my you know, my socioeconomic need, I have to feed my children. So they may not be going to school today. They may go to school today. They may not go to school today. It just depends on what's going on because survival is the key, right? We got to survive. We got to get, you know, the rent paid or, you know, we got to pay our whatever for our section eight or whatever it is. We got to survive first. So my phys physiological survival needs have to be met. Then my socioeconomic needs have to be met. I have to care for my children. So education is not necessarily at the top of the priority list. College, what is that? You know, I'm going to school. But, you know, some of these kids are going to school because they have to legally. Other than that, 
you know, if the parents wouldn't get in trouble with the law, they may not go to school, may not finish, right? I know people who didn't even finish high school. So, you know, so my point of saying that part was aside from the lower property values and uh, people just straight up trying to survive, nobody may not, they may not care about the delayed benefit of education. Most people are just going to school, be, not most, a lot of people are just going to school because it's a legal requirement for a minor to attend school. And then they want to get that high school diploma or not. And then they want to, you know, go find a job so they can make money because in their minds, making this money is what's all, what it's all about. And that mentality of survival, that kind of that could stem some criminal acts that could stem a lot of maladaptive behaviors and pathologies that have been passed along through many generations. It's a pathology. It's a it's a continued behavior that we don't correct and we don't fix. It was broken. And we never quite fixed it. So <laughs> we don't understand that if we get some education today that we will over the period of our life make more money. Right. So that's a factor in a, a less affluent neighborhood. So, and I get it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there are areas where there's just a higher cost of living, uh, more densely populated areas. So supply demand kicks in. So prices might be higher, whatever. But, you know, um, and there may be higher salaries and wealthier areas. So all these, there are a lot of things that kind of play a factor in it. But I do believe that some of these factors, um, could literally be traced back to some form of a systemic racism or, you know, something to that effect. I do believe there could be root cause to that. So anyway, um, the, it, it, it's just frustrating. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get my thoughts together because it's extremely frustrating just to think about how much talent we have, how much potential we have, uh, how much beauty in general we have in the African-American community. And because people don't want to play a fair game, we are disadvantaged because we're not the majority and we don't control anything. And we're just trying to survive. But if I have all my needs met, then I can think about strategy. I can think about building community and business, but if I'm trying to survive and I get caught up in a drug game because I'm trying to survive or if I get caught up working three jobs because I have to feed my two to three kids that I have that I really can't afford, but I had them maybe because I wasn't properly educated about safe sex or wasn't properly taught about having children or whatever I didn't get taught, whatever pathology was passed down, I'm disadvantaged. And I do understand, I do believe that at some point there needs to be some accountability. Actually, there is some accountability. We need to take accountability. But honestly, folks, if we don't know, then we don't know. So then we don't know, right? Because if I don't know what I don't know, I don't know. Some people are living just because this is what they're accustomed to and this is what they know. So there's still segregation. There is still a divide. And my people still experience educational lack. Of course, there are other lacks, but we're talking about education right now, but my people still experience educational lack. And even after years and years of fighting desegregation, <laughs> still we're experiencing lack. Um, it doesn't matter how many laws you put in place. 
the mindset of the people have to change. First of all, us as brown people, we need to change, get ourselves at a better place and bond together and lift each other. And then we can all lift together. Right. And so um, and then white America needs to have a shift. And again, this does not apply to all people. It's not apply to all brown people. It's not apply to all white people. But the body, the greater body of white America probably needs to have a different thought process about their privilege and how to share that privilege with their fellow man and stop looking at race as a skin color because there is a human race. There is no real other race than the human race. We've made that social construct. So anyway, that's my rant. That's my opinion. Um, I just wanted to share this. Um, but it, and like I said, I never really paid a, a lot of attention to uh, the disparities in different schools because there were two high schools in my city growing up and both were reasonably nice in my opinion. But this is my, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old opinion. Now here at the age of <clears throat> um, I. <laughs> or you having a reaction to me explaining my age because. Okay, because we could talk about it. We we mic'd up. You got something you want to say about my age? No. Okay. So, uh, my high schools, both both of the high schools, the middle schools, elementary schools, they're all nice. But here's another part of that. Many of the schools that were in existence when I was going to school, because there was a lot of them in my city, they're all closed. There are a lot of them that are closed. It's now... It's still two high schools, but they closed one and reopened it as something else. They attached an elementary school to that same building or used that same edifice to have part high school, part elementary. My high school is still open, and a lot of the middle schools and elementary schools are just closed. And the buildings that are still there, my present-day mindset, they look raggedy. Honestly, they look raggedy and underdeveloped, and there's a lot of work that could be done. So... Uh, James, did you, when you, okay, so in your city growing up, because you're, you grew up far outside of Detroit area, like, what did you notice about other schools? Because you grew up in a, I guess, I'm assuming you grew up in a largely brown community as well, right? Um, It was definitely a mixed community. Okay. I don't, probably more brown than non-brown but um more so a mixed community when i was in school i never really looked at things or compared my school to any other school but reflecting back on it the one thing that i do recognize now is that because i was a cheerleader i did travel to a lot of other schools um so i got to see how their football fields look or their gyms or just their schools in general and looking back on it they just Compared to mine, Ypsilanti High School, which is where I went, not Ypsilanti like young Miami from City Girl said. <laughs> but um, they were always well lit compared to my school. Um, they were clean, larger. It just looks like they had a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They just had a head start pretty much. So The resources. Yeah, they had the resources. Money. That right monies they had the coin um that ypsilanti high school did not have so i really can't say that i came out of high school with a lot of 
knowledge either. I had a lot of teachers that would tell me, oh, well, you're, you know, you're not doing so well in the class. So just go sit in the back. Just go sit in the back. Just don't bother anyone while you're here. It was like they didn't want to help me. They really didn't care if I graduated with a good grade or if I had the knowledge or the education. So, um, and of course, being a high school student, that was fine with me. I'm like, well, shit, I don't want to learn anything anyway. It's like, let me go to the back of the class and maybe take a nap. But um, looking back on it, that's definitely not okay. Because if the the teachers are even kind of pushing the students to the side, rather than being like, you know what, you're flunking this class, what can I do to help you? Um, you know, that could definitely be a form of racism as well. So yeah and honestly uh and that makes a lot of sense i'm really glad you brought that topic up because i in my current day-to-day as a transit supervisor i did observe a non-brown teacher a white teacher just make it plain a white teacher in the school district and she as compared to her brown counterpart because it was on the, they were on a field trip um, the white teacher was really yelling at the kids and these are mostly brown kids in this district I work in. They were mostly brown kids and she was yelling at them and, and, the, and it could be me being jaded or it really could be reality or it could be a mixture of both. But frankly, I felt like she treated these kids like shit where in reality, it's because of these kids that you even have a salary. So let's make sure we're clear about that. Um, and shout out to all the wonderful, amazing teachers that are out there who do a whole lot with a little, I mean, teachers out there buying stuff for their students to ensure that the educational value still remained. But yeah, there are a lot of teachers, you know, and I'm sure there are Brown teachers as well, who don't really give a shit about the academic careers of these kids and even in these, even though the school districts in the mostly brown communities are not getting funding, which is completely ridiculous, um, um, there are a lot of teachers who are still like kicking ass teaching these kids. The kid that does not get it, like you were saying, James, who does not quite get it, who um, instead of telling them to go to the back of the classroom, she's like, come sit up here, sit by me, stay after class. Stay after school. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you there. I will not let you fail. I will not let you mm-hmm. fall. Um, and I had a, me personally in high school, I had a phenomenal counselor. Shout out to Miss Lightsey. She was awesome. She pushed me even when I didn't feel like being pushed. And, you know, uh, she gave me the gift of mentorship and I got to, you know, benefit from her. And I actually reconnected with her recently um, as I took on this job back inside the school district. So shout out to Miss Lightsey. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff because it's all about the culture and the mentality. But if, like I said, if the mentality in these mostly brown communities is survival and um, not a big emphasis on, oh, I need to do this now so I can have a benefit later it's more so my mindset of I need to focus on right here right now because I got to survive right here right now I got to survive in this next week this next day this next hour I got to survive so 
the thing, the seeds I could plant to grow my tomorrow, I can't plant because I got to focus on right here, right now. And there, and there is no value in tomorrow. So that's a huge issue. Um, but I really shout out to, you know, Ed Build. I'm glad to learn about them recently that there is a body out there trying to equalize this stuff and help with the schools. Because if I am a state of Michigan or I'm a state of Georgia, state of New York, if I'm a state of California, if any state, any governing state should have, should be able to equalize the funding for these school districts and give these kids, all of them, all of these kids, a, a, an equal playing ground. If the parents want to buy extra stuff for their kids, so be it. That's great. But I totally believe that the, State, even the federal government should play a big role in equality of funding so that all these kids can get something, make upgrade these schools um, and make them look better. So the kids feel better about going. Let's get these kids more engaged and more involved. These kids deserve better. They didn't ask to be here, but it is what it is. This is uh, fucked up. I'm sorry. It just really frustrates me. Um, so, yeah. Oh. Take a quick breath, cause that 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 one that one did me in. That that this one did me in because <laughs> I just really want to see um, equality for my brown youth. Okay, so I'm done with that rant. It's not really a rant. It was just to really educate and inform. Like I said, folks, all the podcasts they're here to educate entertain inform all those things and this episode was more of an uh, educational informational because it's something that needs to be talked about in our communities and we need to think about these things and we need to think about planting seeds today for the benefit of tomorrow and not just living day to day that includes building a savings account which most people a lot of people don't believe is reasonable because they're trying to survive day to day that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> a whole nother podcast so if you want to talk more about this topic with me or because it will be a part two like i said i have two um highly educated brown people in my life who are amazing and i'm going to talk more about this i want to hear from their perspective so um my god sister uh ingrid Dr. Macon, actually, and my homeboy, Dr. Sledge, if those two would like to appear, which I'm sure they will, I'd appreciate it. I want to have a conversation about this again in the very near future. Um, so, yeah, let's talk more about it. Hit me up. Um, eat cornbread and caviar on Instagram. Slide into my DMs um, or email us at eatcornbreadandcaviar at gmail.com. Now. I always like to end on a positive note because sometimes we talk about stuff that's very heavy and it's extraordinarily sad uh, with the state of affairs that we're in right now. Um, yeah. So the positive vibe for today. Yay, positive vibe. Woo. That was very heavy for me. So <laughs> I like that. You stole that from me. Um, here's the positive vibe, people. And I don't steal these from people. I make these up myself or at least... Based on my experiences, I kind of draw conclusions and I turn it into a positive vibe just for you. 
I'm going to start off with this one by saying that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now, yes, that is an old adage. I did not make that part up. But here's my point with that. I want to challenge you to stop looking at yourself through the eyes of this maladaptive, unfair, um, highly racist American society. Uh, if you behold yourself through the eyes of those that don't believe in you, do not want you to succeed and don't support you, you too will begin to treat yourself and the people who look like you in the same way. In part, I think that this is why we treat one another so badly. We have that crabs in a barrel mentality. We have an individualist mindset, but where we come from, we weren't individuals. We were collectivists. We were in a collectivist society. We were collective. We did things together. We raised each other up. But here in this American society, we were taught something that wasn't what we were bred in, what our ancestors were bred in. Um, we came out different. And we need to really get back to that joining together to help lift up. And we need to work on execution. But that's a whole another podcast. So... That crabs in a barrel mentality, you know, we kill one another, we steal from one another. Why would you want to be so toxic to your brother or your sister? Why would you want to be toxic to someone who looks like you, who's in your community? We have enough to deal with, but we want to do it to each other. We should literally be honoring one another, building better community value with one another, and helping one another but it has to start with seeing one another through a different lens okay a different lens and as the beholder learn to set your standard of what beautiful is okay don't let the media which you turn on the news oftentimes it's our people on there but we need to deal with that issue but also don't let media effects um, affect your thought process about yourself and your people. Start being awake. Pay attention. Okay. Understand where this media is coming from. Examine the, the producer of this stuff. Look at the companies. There's nobody on, on the board level that even looks like us. They don't understand us. Right? So... Start determining what your standard of beautiful is. Um, see yourself, thereby your fellow brown person, as beautiful. Honor one another. Help one another. Be bold and defy what the society teaches you to do. Challenge what you see on TV. Challenge how you're treated in a store just because of who you are. You have money to spend, too. You have $1.2 trillion at your disposal. So you tell them that and you walk the hell out and go somewhere where there is someone who would appreciate taking your dollar. You know, challenge the flaws that you see within yourself. Fix and improve. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Behold your beauty and the beauty of your people. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And you, my brown brother or sister, or anybody else who needs to be told this, you are beautiful. Okay? James, do you have any closing thoughts? James, you're beautiful. I want you to know you are a beautiful person, great personality. Uh, you know, 
and this is what we need to do more of, folks. We need to take time to tell each other how amazing we are. And you are amazing. And I congratulations on your recent success. Congratulations you. on your future goals and endeavors. You are an amazing person. Thank you deserve you. it. Thank you very much. You're I very welcome. It. You're very welcome. Any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, I, no, I don't think I have any closing thoughts for the people today. Okay. I do not. You're, you're suffering with this whole oh yeah head congestion <laughs> thing and oh my gosh you can sit over there be quiet i don't want you to cough on me so please don't put any germs in the air just hold I'm it in not to thank you let me get my lysol spray um <laughs> um all right well who is it it's me ramon i want to thank you for listening today um I enjoyed today's topic. It was fun for me to talk about it, but sad for me at the same time. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this topic. I hope you'll share. Um, please, please, please subscribe, rate, comment, and share. It literally costs you nothing but a few seconds of your time. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and we're now on Spotify. So we're out here. So help us out share us out okay um if you want to connect with us again follow us at eat cornbread and caviar on instagram uh, or you can hit us up at eat cornbread and caviar at gmail.com i am open to positive commentary i am open to not so positive commentary i'm open to just thoughts and opinions i'm open to sharing your thoughts um and everything on air so, um, well, it's not on air, but on I'll call it on record because <laughs> we're recording. So, yeah, until next time, people, um, please stay positive, build each other up, help build better people in your community. I love you. I thank you. Have a fantastic day. Listening to the Detroit is Different After Dark Podcast Network.